Welcome to She Became Visible. I'm Renee Steelman, your host. And I have for today, my guest is Britt Hartley. If any of you are familiar with the Almost Awakened podcast, you will know that Britt is the co-host of Almost Awakened. And her and Bill Real, it's such a nice, refreshing oasis of podcasts to listen to if you have deconstructed from a fundamental religion and you are struggling to remember who you are, discover who you are, or find out how you even land in this world without that laid out plan that was given to you that you accepted for all those years. And, and, but Brit and Bill both have a way of just their voices are very calming. So even if you didn't hear a thing they said, rather than listen to ocean music or chakra, anything, sound bowls, just turn on Britt and, and Bill. It's the same as the sound bowl. It's even better. So Britt, thank you for taking time out of your day. And I will, I'm going to let you introduce yourself. I love you guys go to her um, website. It's no nonsense spirituality.com. And she introduces herself on there. And I love the way you, you describe your about, but because everyone's no, don't go there now. Everyone's going <laughs> to stay right here and listen to us. Just give a brief introduction to who you are and why you became such a Zen shaman for all of us. <laughs> <laughs> Zen shaman. Yeah. Uh, it's so nice to be with you. And it's so nice to be on this podcast. I hear great things about this podcast, especially for my female clients have mentioned this podcast. So I'm so oh, honored to amazing. be here today. And yeah, my name is Britt Hartley. I live in Boise, Idaho. And I have, you know, a long story like anybody else, and we can go into that as, as little or as much as you'd like. But essentially, I had a faith transition at some point in my journey. And um, kind of when you get through that phase and you realize for, for a lot of people, you know, for me, it was polygamy. It was about 12 years ago. That was my, my kind of big faith transition. And um, that, you know, rocked me like it did a lot of people. And so for a couple years, I was, you know, there wasn't all these cool podcasts and TikTok. It was yeah. much harder back when I did it. These kids <laughs> can deconstruct <laughs> so easily now. Walked a mile in the snow both ways. Oh, my yeah. gosh. Yeah. I was reading microfilms. I mean, it was yeah. not it was not as easy back then. No. But eventually, after after some time, you kind of say, OK, I've, I've processed this. I kind of have a sense of um, the Mormon story and my part in it what's next? And that's the part that I really love playing in and that I still continue to play in. So the podcast that I do with Bill is Almost Awaken. And essentially, even though we both come from a Mormon background and we have, um, you know, in other spaces, we'll talk about Mormonism. This podcast is really just for, okay, what's next? Mm -hmm. And so we're really having fun talking about, okay, if you've, if you've, you know, spent time studying Mormon polygamy and you've done that whole dive and you've listened to eight hour Mormon stories, podcasts, and people kind of go through that phase. And then the what's next is how do we take this baby, which I would say is spirituality out of the bathwater, right? There's religious trauma, mm -hmm. uh, especially for women. You've lost your voice at some point, probably when you were a child, there's mm -hmm. inner, you know, there's, there's lots of bathwater there, right, right, that we can right. wash away. But there is a baby in that too, 
right? And so that baby is, you know, the, there's rituals. Those are scientifically helpful. Mm -hmm. um, what do we do about death? What about morality and ethics? What about your story? What about your meaning and purpose and community mm -hmm. and shadow work and inner child work and awe and transcendence? There's science behind a lot of those things. And so when you walk away, if you choose to either nuance or walk away from uh, from a religious tradition, there's a lot of things that um, will need to be replaced or there's a baby to hold on to and not wash away or else you're, you're losing a lot of tools. And so that's essentially what I, what I try to do with spirituality and why I do no nonsense spirituality is how can I get these tools and not require any beliefs from you or not trigger your religious trauma? How mm. can we, how can we individually and in families and in communities hold on to these tools um, and not kind of require some of the belief hoops that we had to jump into that we, you know, that religious people from religious trauma will just not be able to do again. That's too triggering. And so that's kind of where I like to hang out now. That's so great. And, it, and you know, I, I, I think you were the one that introduced me to Sam Harris. And so I became, you know, I went down that rabbit hole for a long time and I love, I love Sam Harris. Um, but I, and one of the things I think it was Sam that was explaining how, if you tell him where you grew up and a little bit about your family dynamics, I grew up in the Midwest with two um, heterosexual white parents, um, blah, blah, blah. He'll say, oh, you're Christian, you know, or if you say, you know, I grew up in the Middle East and my parents, you know, he'll say, oh, you're Muslim, you know. Um, and so it, one of the hardest thing, and then like you say, I've been in the church for over 50 years and so I have been ingrained with Sunday morning. Um, this is what you do. And so now I kind of walk around going, wait, that was my reason to get, get my kids up and dressed and, and cute little outfits. And, you know, oh, we're, you know, we're going to all match on Sunday. It's Easter, you know, blah, blah, blah. The whole, like you say, there was just this thing that you did for 50 years. And all of a sudden I'm like, bye, honey, see you later. And we're just going to watch Sunday morning on TV. And, and at first I thought, well, I'm going to replace that. I'm going to, I'm going to find a church, a Christian church that I can go to. And then, and I went to a couple of them. And I'm like, oh, you did not just say that. Oh, please mm. tell me you did not just say that. You know, like I went to a, you know, uh, the, the pastor had on a flannel and a baseball cap and jeans and there was the rock band behind him and everything. And then he's one of those cool pastors. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, and he started talking about, Oh, you know, those Scottsdale women and, you know, with their plastic surgery. And I'm like, dude, no, read the room here. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, it's like, no, you can't some othering. Yeah, yeah. Some exactly. othering. And, or I have a, a, my husband plays golf with a guy and they go to this other church. And, and when they found out that I was, had left, the Mormon church, then they were like, oh, tell me to come. And I said, well, ask Howard, how do they feel about LBGTQ community? And, you know, and he's like, oh, no. Mm. I was like, no, that's not happening. So, you know, so you are, you're lost. And then, like you say, there's these rituals that are so important. And it's like, oh, Easter egg hunt in my backyard. That's my grandkids. I have you know, a gazillion videos of the Easter egg hunt. Do we not do Easter anymore? Or do I just, mm. you know, I mean, it can go mm -hmm. on and on. And then, and, you know, so I'm, I'm, I'm like someone like you is such a needed commodity for finding some kind of spirituality 
And I love how you referenced, I don't remember whether it was in the one that you just did or the one with, with Bill, the um, number 125, um, when you talked about um, um, secular Buddhism with Noah. Mm. And I love that because that was, I, and I have such a indoctrinated black and white perfectionism mindset that I was like, well, I'd like to be Buddha, but I'm going to eat meat. So <laughs> I guess I can't be Buddhist, you know, or I'm not going to meditate. You know, I, I'm with Brene Brown on meditation. It's like, I'm going to go for a walk or go for a run and mm. not sitting still, not going to happen for me. And so I was like, oh. but then I listened to him and I was like, oh, I can go for a walk and count that as meditation. Okay. You I can't know. tell you. And I have to say this just because you have such a strong female audience. I cannot tell you how many times I have a client. So I do spiritual direction. So I meet with clients who are at various points of their faith journey. And I don't, you know, press my own beliefs onto them. It's, it's a companion kind of experience where mm -hmm. I essentially walk into their spiritual home and say, okay, what, what DIY project can we do together to make this home more like, mm -hmm. you know, you and your authentic self. Mm -hmm. um, but I can't tell you how many women I'll ask them something like, you know, what fills your spiritual cup or what resonates with you or what calls to you spiritually. And they'll say something like, well, I try to meditate, but I have so many kids and I just can't, you know, my mom brain is always going when I try to sit on my mat. And so I don't meditate and I, you know, I try to like read books that everybody says to read, but then like, I'm just so tired by the end of the day. And they'll say something like, so I'm just not very spiritual. Um, and it honestly, like it, it almost brings me to tears each time because what happens in spirituality, and this is across the board, including Buddhism, mm -hmm. is that because these holy books were written by men, mm -hmm. the rituals and the spiritual practices are really driven by a male experience, right? Mm -hmm. That you have time to sit on a mat for an hour and meditate. That's mm -hmm. fantastic. Mm -hmm. I don't know a single mom with young kids who can do that, right? right. And so they right. just feel, well, I guess I'm just not spiritual right now. Mm -hmm. And so it took a lot of work for me. Um, and there's a lot of beautiful work. One of my favorite books is Wild Mystic. That's great for this. And um, it's this idea that just just broadening the definition of what it means to be spiritual, because here's what happens. If a man goes to India for three weeks and goes on a meditation retreat, they'll come back and we'll honor him. Or if he goes on Instagram and he sits in a perfect lotus pose, we'll say, oh, that guy is really like in touch. He's very spiritual. We'll listen to what he has to say. Mm -hmm. And he'll talk about, oh, I did all this ego dissolving work when I was in India. And we'll say, oh, wow. And then if a woman in the middle of the night gets woken up, and in that moment, she has to choose her own desires, which is, I really want to go to sleep and I'm going to, you know, I'm so upset. I just want I just want some sleep. Mm -hmm. But the child has thrown up on the floor and it's the middle of the night and she chooses in that moment love. She chooses mm -hmm. to show up for the child and comfort the child and clean the floor in the middle of the night with no one noticing. Mm -hmm. And the sad thing that breaks my heart is we'll see the guy doing ego dissolving meditations in India as spiritual work, but we'll expect a woman to do that 
and not recognize it as spiritual. Mm-hmm. Not If you want to know what ego dissolving work is, mm-hmm. ask a mother who gets up in the middle of the night and cleans up poo. That'll mm-hmm. dissolve your ego real quick, right? That's choosing yeah. love in a whole, in an amazing way. And so some of this work as we're coming from, if you're coming from a religion where the holy books were written by men or some kind of patriarchy is redefining what spirituality looks like from the female perspective. A lot Mm -hmm. of that has to do with our work in our families. Mm -hmm. Um, Why is it that, you know, a sacrament is a, is a ritual, but me making a meal for my family and connecting with them and then ritualistically kind of cleaning off the counter the way that I always clean off the counter. Why is that not a ritual? You know, Mm And so there's a lot there that I work with as far as female clients of reclaiming, like you're saying, it's just someone giving you permission that a walk is just as valuable of a spiritual experience as the people who sit cross-legged perfectly and do an hour meditation, right? And so a lot of that is just reclaiming the female experience. And Mm -hmm. it's something I'm super passionate about because it breaks my heart every time a woman says I don't have a spiritual life. Mm -hmm. And I see it everywhere, but they've never gotten permission to claim that. That's Okay, I'm going to try and get through this hour without breaking out into tears. But when you said that on your Facebook page, mm-hmm. and I thought, you know, the the we're so, what is the word, pedestalized um, as far as our role as women and mothers. We're, we're put on this pedestal, but then we're also degraded for not having read our scriptures and every day or, or, or you know, whatever these things are that we're supposed to do. And yet it's like, but did you recognize that I got up three times in the night and nursed my baby in the peace and quiet, you know, held my baby to my breast, fed him milk that you couldn't do or, you know, and, but I was willing and anxious and excited to disrupt my schedule to do this for this baby. You didn't recognize that as just as much as you, you know, like you say, going to your priesthood meeting or as President Nelson, you know, going to his priesthood meeting and then going home and feeding the women that were making donuts so that they could feel the spirit. And it was like, you know, that's the kind of stuff that just completely drains women of their self-worth, their value. Um, They just think, oh, I guess I must, I have to do more. I always constantly have to do more where all this guy had to do was get up, put on a tie and go sit in a pew and somehow, right. you know, he's so when you right. said and we that, listen to him, yeah, it was like, oh, thank you for acknowledging. I knew I loved that, but I didn't know that it was sanctioned or authorized as spirituality. I wasn't given permission to accept that. So that that was that was a lot. Yeah. And you and I talked about that a little bit because you you reposted some of that with your son. Yeah. And um it, it really touched me when you when you posted that. It brought me to tears because um, the thing that is so hurting about watching Mormon women, even in leadership, is that even if even if we were to get a general conference where the women speak mostly, mm-hmm. you know, some people say, you know, let's let's just give women equal time or more time, you know. Mm-hmm. And I I get the sense that that wouldn't do anything, that wouldn't change anything because the women who are in those positions of leadership get up on the stand and then they quote men, right. not their own experience, not right. other women. Right. They they quote the men. And so it's, it's, it's a woman who is echoing this kind of male experience or male spirituality or, or doctrine. 
And so it wouldn't matter if we got more time because the women who had a different kind of spirituality, a really feminine spirituality, were never given permission, were not seen, didn't feel like they had a space there, and they left a long time ago. And mm-hmm. so it, it makes me, you know, so when I'll, I'll hear feminists or, or people say, let's just give the women more time, and I'm like, that's not going to do it. It's not going to do anything. What would they yeah. say? They're just going to repeat everything that's already being said. Right. So something deeper has to go on, which is women claiming their spirituality. And that that takes a little bit of work because, again, if the books are written by men, mm-hmm. there's no space for honoring getting up in the middle of the night and people recognizing that that is a deeply spiritual experience uh, where you have to choose love, mm-hmm. where you have to listen to your body and tell your body, I'm going to do this even though you don't want to, or even yeah. when it hurts, or I'm choosing love, right? There's all these meditations where you choose love and you kind of let go of your ego and do all these things. Um, and women are already doing this. But again, like you say, because we expect it to expect women to do it, we don't, we don't validate the hero's journey that mothers go through. We just right. expect that everyone is a natural mother. And then right. we wonder why mothers are at home depressed, mm-hmm. feeling like they're not enough. Um, and all these things that we all experienced as mothers with young children, when you really lose yourself in that process. Right. And yet it's, it's not valued as a, as a journey. It's just something expected. And that, that really breaks my heart. It really does a lot of damage. Yeah, it does. So tell, tell us how you went, because I love the fact that you, where you are today, your spiritual journey started out with someone who had a disconnect at a young age, which I am like, well, no wonder she is who she is because at 16, you recognized, I'm not comfortable with, with this. The, I think you mentioned that the standard uh, standards for youth book had come out and you read it and you were like, hmm, struggling with this one a little bit. At 16, which I think is amazing, because at 16, I was like, okay, whatever. Is there a dance on Friday? Whatever. I'm going to find a handsome man and marry him tomorrow, you know. <laughs> and, you know, so I was totally wrapped up in this. Um, um, yeah, I mean, I'm going to graduate from high school. I guess I'm supposed to get married, right? I mean, isn't that what it is? I better go to that dance again on Friday mm. and Saturday. And um, so tell a little bit about how you went from, I'm going to make this work, I'm going to make this church work to this church doesn't work. Yeah. So I had, um, a f- I had kind of three parts to my faith crisis. Some people really do it just all at once. Mm-hmm. And mine was kind of three parts. And so the first one was, yeah, I was around 15 or 16. The first strength of youth pamphlet had come out. It was very big. Um, but I come from a family of, of open debaters and open mm-hmm. thinkers. We were allowed to, uh, my my parents are both educators, and so we mm-hmm. were kind of allowed to at least um, think about things or what do you think about this um, in politics or religion. So I had some basis to um, in my family to you know think about things or debate about things, and I really value that from my family. Mm-hmm. Uh, my dad was uh, somewhat nuanced uh, later on at the time, though probably not as much, but. Um, at the time, yeah, so the pamphlet had come out and it was really presented to me in young women's and seminary and uh, Sunday school as this is God, right? This is what God requires of you. Mm -hmm. And there was something just kind of in my 
bones. Of course, I'm a teenager, and so I don't have eloquent words for this. I can't say, like, I'm having cognitive dissonance, and I'm going <laughs> to, yeah. you know, I'm not going to use yeah. those words. I'm just yeah. going to rebel, right? And so it yeah. just came out in rebellion uh, because I just looked at this, you know, the paragraph on tattoos or whatever it was, and I'm just like, of everything going on in the world, I was already mm -hmm. super into history, really loved my history classes, mm -hmm. um, thought, I, you know, really wanted to be a history teacher. And so I already had a sense of like, God cannot possibly be like this petty about tattoos or mm. like care this much about this little thing. Like the world is so big and there's so much suffering. And what about all these other religions? And I just could not, I just had cognitive dissonance, but I didn't have words to be able to handle that. Mm. Um, so it came out in rebellion and um, that rebellion was especially, you know, having, having sex with a boyfriend, which was, you know, a, a pretty big rebel move to, to take for, for a teenager with, with two active LDS parents. And this really, you know, terrified my parents. And so I was removed from my home and placed in um, my aunt and uncle, uncle's home. And so my senior year of high school, um, I, yeah, just, I had lost, I had lost a lot. I had lost my family. I really didn't know what I believed. Um, I was really, really lost. And in this home, so my, my uncle was a bishop. He had these kind of old church books as people have gospel libraries and I was digging into them and I kind of stumbled upon uh, nuanced Christianity and nuanced mm. Mormonism, mm. just kind of the, the deeper thinkers, the, the deeper doctrines that were somewhat interesting. And I think for me at the time, it was, it was a life raft of being able to reconnect to my family that I had lost because I was mm -hmm. just so broken. Mm -hmm. And so I was reading this kind of deeper, kind of more academic intellectual strand of Mormonism that's not so petty about, you know, tattoos and, and little things like that, but, but bigger, bigger ideas. And there was enough there that was like, okay, I'll do this kind of Mormonism. If I can do this kind of Mormonism, this nuancy Mormonism, I, I can do that and I'll be able to reconcile with my family. And so that was essentially, so by the age of about 17, 18, I was kind of in a nuanced Mormon place. I didn't mm -hmm. know that that was the word for it, but I right. essentially was. Right. Um, and yeah, I just didn't know that that was a thing, but, but there was enough kind of academic Mormon messages that were interesting to me. And I went to BYU-Idaho. I had a good experience at BYU-Idaho just because I was in the history department and history yeah. Mormons, history teacher Mormons, they're just a different brand of Mormon. Right. They'll talk to you about polygamy. You know, they have, you know, they have very welcoming views of other religions. It was a very, um, I, I really liked it there. I had actually a really good experience there. And, um, you know, 19 got married as one does, which is so dumb. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Especially just a, when you have children of your own now. Oh my gosh. Look, was, I have a granddaughter that's going to be 17 next month. And I'm just like, Oh no, no, that's very young. No, you can't yeah. do that. You know? No, just yeah. a child. And, um, you know, left, left to BYU, Idaho. And for a while, just really liked being a nuanced Mormon and that worked for me. And then, uh, I, w I did become a history teacher, had my first child and it was my first time that I was, um, home, uh, not working right home with a baby. And, um, so I took polygamy essentially off my shelf and said, okay, 
you know, baby sleeping. I have a minute here. I'm going to take this off the shelf and deal with it and mm -hmm. had a pretty big faith crisis, right? Mm -hmm. it, it just, it revealed um, a side of Mormonism and, and, and doctrine and prophethood. Just give me one second and let me bark at my kids who are being absolutely, so absolutely. Hey, kids, kids, kids. <laughs> I hey. love that she's doing that. This is the reality. I, I, this is I was the reality. This reality. I was listening to, I think, Scott Galloway, who I love. And he was saying how when people talk about how at your funeral, you know, people are going to talk about what you did for them or how you made them feel and the little, the little things in life. And he was just saying, why do kid, why do football players, you know, who have just torn their ACL, they're like, mom, mom, mom. It's like, because the moms did the little things, hmm. you know? And so it's, it's those little tiny things that you do over a lifetime that build up to where, you know, you're anyway. So go on. Yeah. I, yeah. I used to be super embarrassed when my kids are kind of in the background, but I, it, it's kind of a permission to myself that I allow myself to have conversations and work yeah. Yeah. and that my children, I'm not going to be embarrassed or remove myself from the world just because I have a child. Exactly. Um, yeah. Cause that just seems, that just seems like an unnecessary pressure that we put on ourselves as women. Anyway. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, where am I? Where am I? Well, you were studying here? polygamy and oh, I'm like, studying polygamy. You know. <laughs> blows yeah. up right so um i had everything that you would that you kind of would imagine with a with a faith crisis you know real loss of identity real um that feeling that the floor is dropping from under me and i don't know what's going on and at the time again this is 12 years ago so like there's no podcast there's no mm -hmm. church history essays like it was very very isolating Lindsay Hansen park there's you no know? oh my <laughs> gosh do you know how much that would have helped me like yeah. i was digging into these books in my room alone um and I, I could do some of it because I had at least at least enough, you know, history education that I could go through microfilms and try to make sense of this. But yeah, it, it's a lot easier now. Yeah. <laughs> I'm very jealous of that. Exactly. And um, but you know, that that's that's my story and part of my journey was kind of digging into that and had a pretty significant faith crisis. And at that time, I kind of stepped back and said, you know what, uh, Mormonism may not be one true church. But um, there are good things here. It's one of many paths to God. Is kind of how I, um, kind of how I came out of that space. Mm. So I continued to go to church from time to time. I even taught seminary after having a faith crisis because mm. I still loved teaching good spirituality, and I kind of approached it just the way any mystic person would approach religion of just here's some spiritual principles that I can pull out of here that are good, and mm. I'm gonna leave kind of the not good aside and just, you know, not worry about that too much. Right. And so I still c could attend church, but, you know, didn't, didn't believe it was one true church and mm -hmm. was highly, highly nuanced and still enjoyed teaching though, still enjoyed teaching good spiritual principles, um, wherever I could find them in the text. Mm -hmm. And then maybe about five years ago, the last kind of part of my faith journey, um, as you're, as, and this is where I really have a lot of resonance with this community is because I went through it too. Sometimes for some people, when the bulldozer of deconstruction starts taking down walls, mm -hmm. it really doesn't stop until there's nothing. And mm -hmm. so the, kind of the last part of my journey is, I'm not sure if we have free will. Um, I don't, I'm not even sure there's a God anymore. Um, 
I, I like Jesus as, as a person or some of the stories, but Jesus really may not be coming. We really may just be on this planet in the, in a dark universe that doesn't care. And what is my meaning of life if that's true? And mm -hmm. so a, another deeper kind of layer of faith, of faith crisis of, mm -hmm. of, um, of identity crisis. Mm -hmm. And that's where you run into nihilism, where not only do you lose your beliefs, but you, you lose essentially your ability to have any beliefs mm -hmm. is just completely taken out. It's been mm -hmm. bulldozed. You're, mm -hmm. you're essentially naked to the universe. And that's mm -hmm. a very scary place to be. It took some study and, and reaching out to other people who could help me in that place mm. to be able to come out on the other side. And you can come out the other side. And the beautiful thing about having your bulldozer really take down your spiritual home to nothing is that what you have to do then is, okay, um, if this is where I am, what kind of home do I really want? Mm -hmm. what, what kind of life do I really want to have? What mm. kind of life is really worth living for me and really getting honest about that question because people's expectations, that's all been bulldozed. God's expectations of you, you don't even know how do you want to address that. You know, that's just, that's not driving you anymore. And so in that space of, um, of the ashes, essentially, Mm -hmm. as a really beautiful, I know now being on this other side is actually a really beautiful space to create a life that is intentionally you, which is something mm -hmm. that you talk about on this podcast a lot. Right, right. And so there was kind of, yeah, three layers to that journey, kind of nuanced Mormon to kind of like nuanced God believer to um, kind of losing all of that. Mm -hmm. And, but still building on the other side, um, a deeply authentic spiritual life that's really unique to me and really flourishing and relationships that are deeper and all really good things. But it came from rebuilding that spiritual home. And now I get a lot of meaning and purpose in life by being a spiritual director and being that right. person that, right. that um, was there for me when I was in that space and didn't know how do I put myself together again? And um, I enjoy, um, doing that work with other people now. So that it's interesting that you would, that you would mention that and put that together because your last podcast that you did, you talked about the Greek mythology and the different gods and, and the story behind all of the gods. And one of the stories that you were talking about was Chiron. And then the quote that you gave, and I can't remember what it was, I'm sure you do. Um, but about how the hole or the damage that you go through is what you, that the light goes through that damage so that then you turn around and help others that are also being damaged in that same area. And it, I was like, oh, because I always used to, I, I, I think I started to say when I was um, uh, a Laurel advisor, we had just moved into a downtown Portland ward and any kind of a, you know, downtown area there was just a lot of stuff going on the girls that there were my laurels you know one of them was still wasn't there yet but she was on the rolls because she was pregnant and she was down in a home in salem oregon waiting for her baby to be born and as soon as the baby was given away she would come back and return to her teenage life and then one of the other girls was um on discipline because she had had sex with her boyfriend so she was on a discipline and one of the girls came from a home of 10 kids with a father who 
you know, couldn't support the family. And, you know, they, she had to, everywhere she went, she had to bring all her belongings with her so that her brothers and sisters wouldn't steal them. And the bishop's son was going through drug stuff. And it was just a very one of those, okay, there's a lot of stuff going on in this ward, you know. And um, but I just remember that when the one girl uh, had gone through what she had gone through. And so then she wanted to then become a drug and alcohol counselor mm. because of what she had experienced. I remember thinking, is that the best thing for someone who's struggling with drugs and alcohol to be a drug and alcohol counselor. But then when the way you explained it, I was like, of course, of course mm. it is. That's exactly who you want to be your counselor, you know? Yeah. And, or someone that has, I had a friend that had a, is just going on his fun little, I'm a lawyer. I have a great family. We have a house in Hawaii and everything's great. And then he had a heart attack. All of a sudden he's working for the American heart association and he's doing fundraising and stuff. So you know, one of the problems with trying to run a nonprofit is that every that's what everybody does. They go to the nonprofit or the charitable service that resonates with them because they have a child or they had a dad that had cancer or leukemia or whatever, St. Jude's. And so um, it's really hard to have to get people to no, no, no. I know you love your puppy, but don't give any more money to that. But that's where your heart goes is where you've been damaged and where that hole's been made. And so that's what you did with your spirituality. You mentioned in your in your thing that you had uh, theological. So then did you go back to a theological program to study? Yeah. So I. Um, yeah. So it was. And, and this is actually not uncommon, but yeah, when I was trying to figure out God, uh, I have a mentor who does open and relational theology, which is a kind of God that um, isn't controlling and very love based and the future is open, you know, not there's not a specific plan, mm-hmm. um, a relational God. And I thought it was really interesting. It was kind of my last like, ooh, that's a really interesting God. Maybe there's enough here to hold on to. And mm-hmm. I think it was a little if I'm being honest with myself, it was a little bit fear driven. I was looking for a way to hold on mm-hmm. to my faith in God because mm-hmm. my studies at the time um, were pretty or were really stripping that belief. And I didn't want that to happen. I wasn't setting out to to do that. I've I've been in the spiritual space f- and interested in spiritual things for a long time, and so I had a lot of identity wrapped into God existing. So that mm-hmm. was very painful. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so so after kind of my second faith crisis, when I'm trying to make sense of God, you know, I do go back to theological school, and I have a master's degree in the future of American religion. Mm-hmm. Um, but through that process. Um, And that's not uncommon for people to go to, you know, even at BYU, they'll tell, they'll tell kids who want to go into Old Testament studies, for example, oh, don't go into that field because there's not a single person who comes back, like teaching the narrative, essentially, because it's going to, it's going to really challenge um, your view of scripture if you do that. And it was like that for me and God, Mm. um, theological and and not for everyone but theological school and working with these deeply um ended up uh accelerating <laughs> my my uh, beliefs in god that were that were fading for me and when i say the word god i mean i mean an actual being not um you know some people redefine god as as transcendence or the feeling of love or a feeling of connection or a ground of being and i'm okay with with using god in those ways mm-hmm. um but yeah a, a specific kind of being creator of the universe that mm-hmm. uh being a part of th- 
theological school um, helped kind of strip some of that rather than helped buoy my faith in Mm -hmm. a sense. So did you, did you, do you favor one belief over another one right now? Currently, are you, would you call, if someone said, what faith do you follow? Do you say, well, I'm Buddhist or I'm Hindu or whatever, or do you just say I'm spiritual? Yeah, that's a tough one. I I do have some titles. I mean, I'm an ordained Sufi and a a Sufi is um, the mystic form of Islam. Mm -hmm. Um, And I play in Christianity and I play in Mormon spaces and I play in secular spirituality spaces. So um, I play in all the playgrounds and I'm comfortable in playing in all the playgrounds and and adjusting language because this is just a human experience and spirituality right. is a human experience. So in that way, um, you know, I don't have a specific thing, but but the terms I like to use if if someone's you know asking and I'm trying to find a short way to say this whole story, right? right. Is I really like these dual terms that are coming out. There's a lot of them. It'll be like religious humanist, which is mm-hmm. you know I'm a humanist. I believe that in in a uh, human progress and human values but that there's something to be gained by studying religion mm. or atheist mystic or mm. rational mystic or there's these kind of dual terms that are coming out that i find really interesting of like you know i'm skeptical about the god thing and the next life thing I'm, i have some skepticism i even have some religious trauma around those things but um spirituality is super interesting to me i consider myself a spiritual person i have spiritual experiences i study rituals i participate in rituals i um have various kinds of contemplation practices right and so kind of those dual terms are probably the best space for me of just you know i'm skeptical on the in the god in the god area but um very very open to how can we dig out these tools of spirituality that are just really helpful really Mm -hmm. really helpful and really beautiful parts of being human so um yeah mystic atheist yeah i love that (laughs) maybe (laughs) isn't that funny because i i um and i don't think i don't think I have left the religion when I, I think it was just because I moved to Arizona and, and you moved to Arizona and you have to start collecting crystals. I think there's something <laughs> that says yeah. that. Oh, you moved to, you're yeah. only two hours away from Sedona. Get a crystal, yep. you know? Mm-hmm. And so I did this course on crystal study and, 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 and I, I realized I didn't have enough space in my, in my brain to remember what all these crystals were and what they were specifically, you know, and there were, there were too many, like there was, like I thought, oh, okay, the green one, the green one is a such and such. And this is for that chakra. And there's like, oh, but there's four different greens and you have to know which green one is green. I'm like, oh yeah, I can't. I'm, I'm, I'm in my brain <laughs> yeah, So that. my, oh, was, keep going. And then I, I have a no, response no, that's to all. that. But that, yeah. you know, so, but, like, uh, I so like when I, problem. when I say, you know, I, I'm skeptical to beliefs, but I want the spiritual tool. I, I do that with new age spirituality also. So new age spirituality, the tarot cards, especially, I don't think most parents realize, you know, how much their kids uh, are getting spirituality from TikTok uh, tarot readers. And so I'm interested in in paganism. I've participated in various uh, pagan groups here and and 
and crystals and tarot. And so what I'm always, always trying to do, and again, this is just my personal approach to spirituality that feels safest to me and also feels really safe to people who have religious trauma, which is, okay, what is the tool? What is happening here? And how can I access that tool with as little demands on my beliefs as possible? Mm. So you can, for example, when I go, I have a, a friend who does tarot, um, who I really resonate with uh, because she's she's not too woo where she's trying to convince me of things where my brain just can't go with her, and then it kind of and then I kind of shut down. Um, but if you if you flip a tarot card and it's it's something like a phoenix, and it's like, okay, what in you right now needs to die so that something else can come to life? That is an amazing question. That's right. a fantastic question to ask yourself at any time. That's mm -hmm. a fantastic question to talk out with someone else who can hold space for that. Mm -hmm. um, that's a fantastic pattern to look for in your life because now your brain is kind of primed to be looking for that pattern because mm -hmm. you've just been talking about it. So that's the tool, right? There's something happening there um, with symbolism, with archetype. It's, it's a conversation between your conscious and your subconscious. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of science there. Carl Jung, there's a lot there. Mm -hmm. Now, I want to get that tool or get that practice or get that experience. And I don't want to have to believe that the universe spun in such a way that I drew that card and I could only have drawn that card today. Yeah. Because yeah. now that requires me to do a lot of belief work. Now I have to have a whole grand narrative of the universe and I have to understand it all. And I have to, um, the universe is just kind of spinning just for me. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of science in there that just really breaks down when you get into it. And so again, it's no matter what the religion is, or the spirituality is including new age. It's like, what is actually happening at the root level? And how can I get that without having to believe um, in horoscopes, which is difficult for me? I can't get there scientifically. Right. Crystals, uh, you know, there is such ritualistic power in you can you can do this with anything you can you can pick up this pen and say this is my forgiveness pen and when i feel like i need to forgive people or tap into that i hold this pen and it prompts me to go into that space does that work absolutely it works scientifically right. rituals will speed up the process of whatever you're doing processing something or um getting into getting into a brain space for something um but I want that tool. I want to be able to do that without having to be forced to believe something that's hard to believe because right. then, especially if you're coming from a high demand religion, mm -hmm. your BS meter is going to show up at some point. And then, like you said, you're just, you're just shut down. Like I can't do all these colors. Right. I'm so overwhelmed with this that I'm just not going to do this anymore. And so right. um, that's kind of the game that I play is, is how can we get these tools with as little, um, little truth claims about ultimate reality that I think we're just bad at as humans. Mm -hmm. And I think we just need to back away from playing that game because historically trying to make a big giant story that describes ultimate reality, we're just not very good at it. And I'm right. okay just letting that go and saying, we don't know. Right. I love that analogy because you're right. Like if I choose to carry a lapis stone, to a speaking event because that's supposed to be my voice chakra, whatever. It's like, great. What, what's it going to hurt for me to have a blue stone in my pocket 
if I, you know, if that just gives me the anti-anxiety, that's the anti-anxiety pill that I choose to take as a blue stone in my pocket. And uh, what's the harm in that? And then I'm like you, it's like, and I had a, there was a wonderful lady uh, that knew her horoscopes and she was doing the whole Mercury's and Venus passing through, you know, whatever. And I was just like, you, you lost me 45 minutes ago. I don't know what you're talking about. And I just don't have any brain space left for that. Um, but Enneagrams, I, I like that much better than giving me, me a horoscope. Me too. Yeah, you know? me too. Because uh, I can see that more in this, just these patterns of similar people. And, you know, yeah. And Enneagram is great because it doesn't force you to believe anything. It's like, here's a tool mm -hmm. of, you know, when people, when you're younger and, you know, we've noticed patterns when people are seeking for love and attention or they're wanting to um, deal with their own pain or rejection. These are kind of human patterns. And I, I love doing Enneagrams with, with people. Um, and I, I, that's one of those tools that like you can get a lot out of that tool without having to believe or get overwhelmed with whatever Venus is doing in order to access that tool. And so I'm totally yeah. on board with the Enneagram thing because yeah. it just doesn't, it doesn't make any big truth claims. And so I yeah. can use it as a tool and I, I enjoy that tool too. So what Enneagram are you? Well, I think I'm a three. Mm. Um, what about you? I'm a four with a five wing. Yeah, so a deep, a deep, thinker feeler. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I suspected that. I thought, I bet she's an Enneagram four. And, <laughs> you know, and my husband is definitely a two. I mean, mm. the guy would like stripping off his clothes to run across the street and change somebody's tire and give him a coat. And, you know, it just makes me My husband's happy. a three and he's a goal setter, go getter. Yeah. yeah. It's so funny. But I, the thing I like about Enneagrams too, is that it does show you the shadow side. So yes. it's not just like, oh, you're an Aries. Oh, that means you're going to be a movie star and you're this and you're that. Yes. And it's like, yeah, it also means you're like a little bit narcissistic. I 100% <laughs> agree that, yeah. yeah, Enneagram work is great for showing you your blind spots and also great for really explaining how people are fundamentally different and how they're operating and their operating system is different. But yeah, like you said, when you get too far into um, – certain kinds of tarot reading or horoscopes. It's like, you're not responsible for being a scatterbrain today. It's because yeah. like, you know, Mercury, Mercury's in retrograde. And so it's like, it's Mercury. And so yeah. the universe then becomes your scapegoat, which is yeah. very common in religion. Even Jesus yeah. is used to, you know, Jesus exactly. is used as the, the ultimate scapegoat. Um, but anytime you can just use whatever the spiritual tool for spiritual bypassing, which is, I don't have to feel this thing. I don't have to deal with this thing. That that's not spirituality. That is just spiritual bypassing, which is just, it's, it's not something we need to feel shame about because, um, being a human is hard, but it is just a security blanket. It's not right. doing any, it's not doing for you any more than than a security blanket is. So yeah, being able to forgive yourself for making a ton of, I saw this thing on Instagram. It was like, if you texted your ex while you were drunk this week, it's because the planets were doing this. And it's like, no, 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 no. You need to face that you got drunk and texted your ex. Like you still have to face that. Like you still have to do some work around that. You can't just blame that on the planets. Like that is classic spiritual bypassing. So yeah, this is, I love these conversations because it's, it's really just getting into what is actually going on here right. um, and what are the tools that are, that are helpful and what, 
um, is the bathwater, the spiritual bypassing, the truth claims, the shame that we can just let go of and and say that this this is not spirituality that speaks to me. Yeah. So it's speaking of spirituality. So you are a spirituality coach and you you have um, you offer different services on your on your no nonsense spirituality dot com website. It shows the different services. And one of the services that you offer is an upcoming course. Is that correct that you're going to be? Tell us a little bit about what that's going to entail. Yeah, so that course is on there. It's um, essentially a lot of my clients um, are on the Mormon spectrum somewhere, not, Mm -hmm. not all of them, but you know, it's, it's a place where I resonate with people. Mm -hmm. And so over time being a spiritual director where you're coming from Mormonism, what happens is um, I go back to this analogy where, you know, your spiritual home has taken some hits in this faith crisis, but the scaffolding is all there. Like the Mormon ways of thinking are still all there. Mm-hmm. And then the tools to rebuild are poisoned in a sense because you have religious trauma wrapped around it. Mm-hmm. And so people essentially get stuck, you know, it's stuck in this. Um, it's like a building where the walls are down and the scaffolding is still up and they can't move forward, right? Mm-hmm. There's these common places that people get stuck. And so what I was doing is, you know, if I were to work with a client over a year of like, let's rebuild this together, um, there were things that I was essentially doing with everyone because it's just something that we're going to have to do and address. And so what I did is, you know, rather than I just thought, you know, rather than meet with each client and go through this process of spiritual reconstruction, where I seem to be hitting these similar things across the board with people, why don't I create a course where I kind of do that? So if you, you know, if if money is an object or time is an object or, or having kids in the background and Zooming with me is is a barrier, um, really being able to provide this course so that you could could do this work with a workbook um, with me talking about these things and having you sit down and actually write and work through these things and essentially rebuild your spiritual home Mm -hmm. and how that looks for you. Mm -hmm. And so there's, there's 10 areas of uh, well-being that I've kind of found. I, I went over with everyone for this kind of second half of life. So it's going to be rituals, um, you know, that first Christmas after your faith crisis, it's kind of hard. Like, how, how do I want to do this? Right. It's like, it's like you're sitting in your home and you have all these heirlooms and it's like, well, what do I put on the walls and what do I give to the thrift store? Like, there's a lot there we're going to have to work through. Mm-hmm. Um, exploring death. Most of my clients have to re-mourn someone after a faith transition because you mm-hmm. can't lean on those spiritual bypassing um, thought ending cliches of grandma's in heaven. Now we don't have to think about this. We'll be together again someday. We'll be together. Again. Yeah. We we're just going to bypass all these emotions and then boom, you have a faith crisis and those emotions come back to you. And mm-hmm. so we, we go through that, uh, morality and ethics. How do I make sense of right and wrong when that was all wrapped up into God? And now my views of God have changed. That is having a, a moral compass is essential for having the good life or a happy life. Mm -hmm. And so we're going to have to find a way to shift your foundation when it comes to morality and ethics, rewriting your sacred story. So, you know, religions are powerful because they give you a story like you are here and here's the bigger story. Um, 
And then when that story no longer fits you, you essentially need to rewrite your own mm -hmm. and take that pen and say, okay, I'm, I'm writing this chapter now. And what does that look like for you? Mm -hmm. um, meaning and purpose is a big, big one, you know, confronting suffering around deep questions about um, existence and what does it all mean? We can make sense of that even in not knowing, right? Mm -hmm. So I, I'm not answering that saying here is, I'm a theologian and here is my worldview. I approach it as if we're never going to know for sure <laughs> what all this is about, how can we build a life of meaning and purpose anyway in the face of mm -hmm. that? And there are ways to do that. Mm -hmm. um, shadow and inner child work that you've talked about on this podcast before, mm -hmm. um, especially for women, that inner child work. Well, both are really important because, you know, there are there are good emotions and bad emotions that you're raised with as a Mormon woman and we hide mm -hmm. our bad emotions. So shadow work is really important. And then that inner child voice, if I meet with a Mormon-ish Mormon spectrum client who's a female, I know almost instinctually that we're going to have to do some inner child work because mm -hmm. at some age you told your voice to be quiet mm -hmm. and we essentially have to find her again. Mm -hmm. And you know that, and you've talked about that on this podcast before. Um, the science of awe and transcendence, whatever higher power means to you or whatever transcendence means to you. Um, there's seven kinds of contemplation practices and we go over which one really mm -hmm. resonates with you, which is what we just talked about. You know, right. I'd prefer to go on a walk rather than right. sit on a map. Right. Community and inspiration. So how do I re rebuild a tribe? And inspiration is, uh, okay, if the prophet is no longer resonating with you, who are your inspirational prophets that you need to have in your ear? Because we still need that, mm -hmm. even if you're redefining what that is now. Even if mm -hmm. Brene Brown is your prophet now, mm -hmm. you know, finding ways to have inspiration. Um, order and chaos and how to be situated in between the two and then pulling that all together into what does a flourishing life look like for mm -hmm. you? You know, those later stages of human development and Maslow's hierarchy and all those things. So when you put it together, it's it's essentially like a vision or a map that instead of being stuck in this home and not knowing how to rebuild it, it's okay, like here's 10 options for a fireplace. Which one do you like? Oh, I like this one. Okay, let's put that there. Mm -hmm. And we essentially are rebuilding. It's, it's a template to rebuild your own spiritual home after faith deconstruction. So this is specifically right. a reconstruction course. That's and uh, that's on my website. And so if that resonates with you of, man, I know that I, I'd really like to do that work and I'd like to be able to do it on my own time timetable. Um, uh, that That's on my website and I've gotten some pretty good response from that so far. And so I'm, I'm really that's proud exciting. of that. It took me about a year to put together. So I'm very proud of, of putting that together for people because I wanted everybody to have a chance no matter, you know, what your walk of life is to be able to rebuild your spiritual home after after a faith crisis, because I know that that work is really hard and it took me a decade to do. And I want to be able to make that process easier for other people. Right, right. That's so interesting. I, I'm excited to to get involved in that because I'm I'm kind of to the point where up until my faith crisis, and I'm use that word, my faith change, mm -hmm. um, then um, I always kind of poo pooed and um, uh, dis discarded people who talked about their childhood trauma. And I'm sure it was a defense type thing where it's like, look, if I start complaining about my childhood and um, what I didn't get as a child, then I'm just opening up the door for my <laughs> six kids to go, mm -hmm. 
let's talk about that mom. Cause you weren't there for me either. Mm. Or, you know, and I was, I, and I'm sure I was like, um, I don't want to go there because we all can't blame everything on our moms, you know? Mm. Um, but the more that I've studied and the more people and the more podcasts, and like I said, everything that's available to us today, then I start realizing it's like, wait, there's a reason why I'm a loner. There's a reason why I isolate myself because that's all I've ever done. You know, I was the only girl and my older brother went and lived with my dad when he was 15. And so, and then I took care of my half brother who was eight years younger. And so I spent a lot of time in my head mm. and in my beach boys albums and pretending and this kind of stuff. And so I I'm still doing that. And so I was like, Oh, you know, and you're talking about feelings and the ability to express your feelings. And I'm like, yeah, we didn't do that. And I didn't do that well with my kids either. And my girls, I, I know, are doing such a better job as far as being able to communicate with their kids and stuff like that. So it, it was almost a fear is like, look, if I let myself go there and then I'm going to also open the door for my kids to go. Mm -hmm, and this is mm -hmm. what we didn't get. And I was like, no, yeah. don't do that to me. I can't do everything wrong. You know, I have that favorite part of that movie. Um, the, uh, the birdcage when the mom is like, somebody has to love me best, you know? Mm. So, but that's just part of it. It's part of the deconstruction. That is part of it. And that is where, you know, therapists are, are fantastic. And I refer people to therapists when I'm like, okay, we're getting to an area that's outside my training. You know, I wouldn't do mixed faith marriage counseling right. um, or anything like that because I, you know, I don't have the credentials and I'm very safe around that. But that space that you're talking about there where there's a fear that's blocking you from deep doing deeper work. Um, that's where spiritual directors can be very helpful because they'll be able to see that and say, okay, why, why are we afraid to what's coming up with you? You know, why are we afraid to open this up? And what is your ego saying will happen if we look at your shadow for a little bit, you know, yeah. what is your ego resisting there? Yeah. And then having that by, by giving it some words and kind of holding your hand in the process, that's where spiritual directors, I, I have my own spiritual directors who continue to do that process with me. And then I enjoy doing that process with other people because it's a lot easier to do with someone else who can see that fear a lot more yeah. clearly because they don't have their own ego wrapped up into it and their own right. blind spots. And so sometimes someone else can see that and be able to kind of walk you through that versus trying to do it on your own where it's like, it's like you're playing a game of hide and seek with yourself. Yes. hundred <laughs> yeah. mm -hmm. percent. Absolutely. Oh, I'm excited. Well, you know, this is just going to be, I'm sorry for you. Cause you know, I'm going to be working with you soon and very excited. Yeah, you know, I'm very excited. It's like, how much time is a session again? You're going to be like, and that session is over. Please go away. Um, but it is, it is something that, you know, you have to let go of and delve into to find the peace and, and the, to be like you're saying, to be able to, and I love that analogy is, as an interior designer, it's like, look, this place just has to go down. The whole place mm -hmm. has to go down. I, we can't just redo countertops here because turn around, look what you got looking at you as those old cabinets, you know, so the yeah. whole place has to go down. So that's a great analogy for me. Anyway. That's good. Because yeah. yeah, if you were looking at a tumbling asbestos filled apartment, and someone's just saying, you know, I'm just really struggling. And I, I just I feel like I'm hitting rock bottom. And then what 
what what's going to happen to me if you have yeah if you're an interior designer you can say oh we can build something better than this like yeah. it's okay it's yeah some walls are going to have to come down and that's going to hurt that's going to feel very vulnerable to not have some of these safety things but man we can rebuild something so beautiful here and that's yeah. that's the that's the benefit of doing this fear work which i which i do with everyone including myself and that my, my spiritual directors still do with me is that getting, getting to those fears that are driving your behavior mm -hmm. is really the key to ultimate freedom that you can have as a human, that I'm not mm -hmm. being driven. I'm not being driven by my subconscious fears. There's usually four death, isolation, meaninglessness, freedom. Um, and so digging into those deep fears are the way that you really mindfully create a life that isn't driven by fear, but driven by love and purpose and meaning and what you want to do with your life experience. We may only have one, you know, right. um, and that's where you can really tap into just a lot more freedom than I used to have when I was more driven by my fear of I don't want to let go of God. You know, I don't yeah. want to let go of this this space with my family that I worked so hard to recreate, you know, when I was in high school and I had to, I had to repair all of those family bonds and that was so painful. And so to be, to lose it again. And I was the first one in my family to step away from the church. Um, you know, there's a lot of, there was a lot of fear there um, driving a lot of suffering. And so right. getting, getting to that root is really a path of, of a lot of freedom and peace. That, that's amazing. I love that those four things you just mentioned. And especially because I just watched a special the other day, they were talking about, oh, I love 60 Minutes Australia. It's so much better than 60 Minutes mm. America. And they had a thing on women who go through midlife crises and, and how it's looked at compared to men who go through, you know, but living in Arizona has taught me, I've never been around so many 80 year old people in my life. <laughs> and um and this last few, this last month or two that I've gone through some medical stuff with my son. And so I've been in the hospital and in emergency rooms and this kind of stuff. And they're just filled with older people. And so the fear of, of aging, the fear of death, the fear of meaninglessness is so much more on my mind now that mm. I am on my own. Like, I feel like I'm on my own. Not that I had I think I was one of those people that was probably silently nuanced because I would hear mm. things and people would say things. I remember, you know, being in the temple and they would say things and I'd go, oh, please. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. and but then it was just like, whatever, it'll work itself out. You know, I didn't really think about it. Mm -hmm. So I, I wasn't, I wasn't like, but, but we're all going to be together. You know, I, I, and that to me was easy to go. Yeah, that's not happening. Cause I didn't even believe it then. Um, but not having the community, not that moving, I lost my community when we moved anyway. So, and that, you know, at, at, when you move at a different age, when you don't have young kids, you're not involved in the, you know, nobody's playing baseball, nobody's the football games. We don't have young women's or young men's or, you know, boy scouts or any of those activities anymore. That just happens no matter what religion you are, that as you age, you lose your friends, you lose your community. And it ends up being you and your husband going to Joanne's Fabrics. And it's kind of mm -hmm. interesting. But um, so I didn't necessarily lose my community because I think I already lost it when we moved. Um, but it does, you do lose your community in many, many other ways, you know. 
anyway, so I'm very interested to find out more about that whole course that you're offering because I think it's going to bring a lot of peace and and um, just stability in my life. And I love that you, like you said, you are addressing the the female, the women's side of spirituality, which I think is so important and different. It's just different. it is different. Even yeah. thinking about kind of the the age demographic that you find you and your husband in, there are so many um, women who are in the church at that age. And it's so interesting that, you know, when COVID happened, um, we asked, we did kind of a poll, Generace did a poll and Mormon women kind of responded that they enjoyed the time off. They enjoyed not packing the toddler bags. They enjoyed just reading a book on Sunday, enjoyed having a break. And the men really uh, missed church, especially elders quorum, because women um, were maybe able to replace some of those keep keep friendships and and you know it's socially acceptable to for for women to get together and talk about their husbands and kids and life and things mm -hmm. like that. But the men, without that church piece, felt a lack of meaning, felt like they didn't have any voice or value mm -hmm. and felt um, extremely isolated to the point that like, I miss church so much. And so we had this disconnect of women being like, I just really loved the break because I was really burning out. Mm -hmm. And the men saying, I really missed, you know, because when a man puts a suit on and especially if you're older in the church, you walk in and you're presiding and you, mm -hmm. Hey, what do you think about this topic? Oh, let me tell you my words of wisdom, right? It, it's, it's, it, it's almost instant meaning. Yeah. And so I don't have any, um, so, so especially the, the older men in, in the church who have these kind of higher callings, it does give, quite a bit of of meaning and value but the Absolutely. issue is it comes on the backs of women exactly. who are burned out who are doing the sign-up sheets who are watching the kids who are teaching the classes who are um, running the mutual and making these you know fantastic activities and um, and so yeah we have to be able to look at that and and say okay what am I really wanting out of my spirituality? What am I really wanting out of a spiritual community? Right. Because um, these statistics are really just showing that the women are carrying uh, the burden of unpaid labor and unrecognized labor also right. so that the men can have a place to feel really special. And that comes yeah. at a cost for us. Yeah, 100%. Absolutely. And, and especially like you say, when you have authoritarian callings and once a bishop always a bishop and so and in the church it's such a it's such a small community i i you can go anywhere in the world you're going to run into somebody that you knew or in one of the wards that you've lived in in some part of your life and and then if you were a, a man in authority then to them you're like bishop oh my gosh you were my bishop when i was in young men's and mm -hmm. i mean if that is just imagine I imagine even going to church sometimes i play these flip games in order to like be like wow uh imagine going to church and you're you're the bishop or you're the stake president and you go into a meeting of just men and they're talking about i don't know some topic uh, justice, compassion, doesn't matter what it is. And they all stop because they've been debating and they say, well, Renee, uh, can you, can you pipe in here? What do you think about this? You know, and they're all men just looking at you for your wisdom on what you've learned about compassion. And you get to share your little five minute 
piece, you know, that would make you feel pretty special. That would make you feel pretty like, wow, I am just so wise. Right. And, um, but no, even on, uh, even on lessons of, you know, love and compassion, things that, you know, so-called women are, are, uh, you know, so much better at and all these things, you still don't get the opportunity to really speak in that way. And so it it really requires women to, to, yeah, get honest about what, what are you really wanting and and how can you show up in the world vulnerably so that you can resonate with other people who are wanting that and, and make a little tribe for yourself. Yeah, that's so important. Because I mean, I remember telling my husband, I remember sitting in sacrament meeting and my grandson was living with us. And so, you know, even though I've got six kids, they're all grown and gone, but I still have my one that I have to get dressed and pack a bag for and the whole thing. But now I also have a grandson that's eight years old, and I'm getting him dressed and packing junk for him. And, And the stake president was visiting and he stood up at the pulpit and he said, you know, whenever I think, oh, I'm just so tired, I don't want to go to church today. I look down and I see TJ and I go, you know what? If TJ can be here, I can be here. And I'm like, how do you think TJ got here? Oh my gosh. I mean, I didn't even get credit for that. It was like my husband sitting on the stand because he's in the bishopric. He left way early all by himself. And I'm just like, dang, we don't even get recognized for getting those people there, you know? And I just thought, Wow, invisible or what? I mean, it was yes, it's amazing. it's the uh, it's the unpaid labor and then the invisible, yeah, just just the invisible labor labor and and how much wisdom you have from that experience, right? Yeah. That just that we could just tap into, but because you know women don't have that space, it's just wisdom that's lost to the community, and that hurts all of us. That hurts yeah. all of us. It really does. Oh my gosh, Brittany, you are amazing. Well, everyone, once again, it's nononsensespirituality.com. Get on her website. Almost Awakened. Do you have a like set time every Wednesday? Yeah, we we podcast every Tuesday at one o'clock. Okay, okay. And is it, it's live, but then is it also then the next day or immediately on uh yeah that that day bill will do all the all the tech stuff we were talking off air that he's so good with the tech stuff yeah um and so yeah we're we're continuing to have conversations about about what's next so that may be um looking at our biases and really understanding that or we looked at the bite model a few weeks ago where we understand um cults and how to uncult yourself after a cult and that was really interesting and um continuing to get bigger and guests in this space of, of spirituality, more like non-denominational spirituality, because I feel like that's where we are. Mormonism is part of a bigger story of deconstruction, right? We're deconstructing a lot of things. We're deconstructing a lot of systems and institutions. Um, But part of that, and, and, you know, there's a growing group of nuns, N-O-N-E-S of, you know, I don't have a particular religious affiliation and so this movement of, you know, this organized religion narrative isn't really working for me, but I'm not sure how to <laughs> figure out what comes next. It's um, it's something that you are not the only one in that space. And Mormonism is not the only player in that space. It's something exactly. that's really a part of um, the time in history that we are in right now, which is we're yeah. deconstructing and we don't know how we're going to rebuild after that. Right. Um, but you do not have to be alone in that journey because there's, 
a lot of us who are in that place. And so let's band together and try to figure it out together. Exactly. And I love that. I love your episode that you did about the Gen Z mm. and, and where they fall into deconstruction and faith and acceptance and what they're willing to put up with and not put up with. That was very interesting. Was that I'm really can't remember. No, that was its own. I'm really <laughs> excited about about Gen Z and working with Gen Z. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. Hold on. <laughs> Renee's got Hotel California singing in the background. Hold on. We got it. That microphone is really good. It's like, where is my <laughs> microphone? Like, it's okay. Yeah. This yeah. thought is yeah. interrupted by Hotel California. Okay. There you go. There you go. <laughs> Best band in the world, people. Eagles. Go oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, I, I was I was raised on the Eagles. I, yeah. I have great love for that song. Yeah. Um, yeah, the Gen Z is super interesting. Um, I'll be working with Uplift Kids if people are familiar with that to I really want to work with them on, on developing some teen content um, because you and I are in a space where we're talking about second half of life spirituality. Mm. And um, that's just, you know, where we are in our journey, but with teens, they still need first half of life spirituality. Right. And so when they're not getting that from the churches, even if they go to church, it seems like they're not really resonating with kind of this pew based, you know, um, worship. Um the question is, how do we give them all those tools that were helpful for our identity and our ego and our safety and our sense of self and our community? How how can we get that to Gen Z? Because that piece is really missing. So I'm really yeah. excited to explore that. It, it, nobody's figured that out yet, yeah. um, but it, it's a place that, hey, like um, I, I meet tons of parents who are like, okay, you know, I, I really find myself, I, I think I'm a secular Buddhist and I'm, I feel like I'm stable in my faith journey, but I have no idea what to do with my 16 year old. I have um, no idea to have these conversations. I have no yeah. idea to model spirituality to them. Right, this is just right. what speaks to me. Right. Um, and so I'm really excited uh, for future projects that will address that, that big need because um, we have, a pretty big generation of teenagers coming up that, you know, have a lot of anxiety, have a lot of, they're, they're dealing with questions of meaning and purpose far younger than we did. Yes. And um, so I, I, I have a lot of love for, for that age group. And when I used to teach seminary and when I used to teach high school, I really love that age group. Mm -hmm. And so I hope to be able to do some future projects with that. That's so great. That's so great. Wow. Wonderful. Well, thank heavens. There's people out there like you that, that, you know, are out there for those of us that are like wandering or like, oh, I don't know even where to go. It's so and, funny to you know, even hear you say that because I just feel like it's been, I've been like Moses, like I'm here because of 40 years of wandering. Yeah, <laughs> At yeah. every point I felt like I was wandering, but right. hopefully, you know, when, when you've been wandering for a while, hopefully you can help other people in their wandering too. Exactly. And people and help me just like that too. Exactly. And that's how it works. That's and that's how, how it works. works. Yeah. That's yeah. We're yeah. it's like, we're all hikers and it's like, you know what? I've, I've been on a hike like this, or I've been on a cliff face like this and here's a knot that really helped me and whatever, whatever the tool is. And that's, that's really what we can do for each other. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. Oh, my pick pleasure. Up your kids. I know you have things you have to do. There's always things that we have to do, right? Always. It yeah. Never, never stops. And I think that's so interesting because, um, you know, when, when your kids are little and you have control, 
kind of control over their life. Although I have an eight-year-old granddaughter that you know, I've been able to control her since she was, you know, a newborn. I have um, one of those. <laughs> yeah, it's it's. I love it because it's, she's not my daughter, but I watch her. <laughs> my daughter will say, uh, "Mom, she's not going to wear that outfit." I'm like, "Oh, but it's so cute." I'm like, "Just let me here, honey. Try on this pink jacket." She's like, "I'm not wearing that." Mm-hmm. I'm like what you know and so i just love i just oh i can't wait to watch you grow up i love it you know <laughs> but they don't you know you don't understand that it, they never once you're a mom you're a mom forever you know it's just it never goes away you've always got the worry and and you've always got the responsibility and you've always got the the they're in the back of your head you're waiting for the other shoe to drop for some reason or another and so it's do you just go from one pick it you either have to pick them up you know from the bus yeah. up or you know, yeah, I got, I got a couple playing that have been in the background. I got a couple coming home on the bus up and you're right. There's always that percentage of my brain that's listening to you, but also listening to them and making sure they're not killing each other. And um, the beautiful thing is when you claim that as, as, as a hero's journey and as spiritual and as empowering and as meaningful, when you can really claim that for all that it is, but not recognized to be, um, it gives you just a little bit more permission to to enjoy it, even even exactly. even in the struggles and finding the joy yeah. in the struggles, even if you've got a, a more of a purpose for sure. Yes, oh, and what, what's that quote from Viktor Frankl? That's like, he who has a, a why can bear almost any how. You know, I, mm-hmm. I have a why in adopting my children. It gives me a lot of meaning, and focusing focusing on that, even when it's the how is really hard. Yeah, um, yeah, having that be a part of your spiritual journey can really. Um, change your view of motherhood, especially when I'm in an age where I'm still changing diapers. So they're still very young. Yeah. Um, and I'm in an age where I'm still changing diapers. Too. <laughs> you're you're changing young. diapers too. Yeah. yeah. It's like, that and much, you know, re- yeah. reclaiming that as, as powerful spiritual work can, can give that. a lot of voice to an otherwise just really hard, sometimes lonely and isolating journey. And I, yeah. I hope that for every women, woman, because it just breaks my heart, how we just don't value ourselves because the religious traditions we've been in haven't seen that as spiritual work when it is. Uh-huh. That's the best. That's the best, best message of, of, of all. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you again. And I look forward to your other podcasts and I look forward to working with you on my spiritual journey and, and um, thank you for taking time out of your day today. Cause I thank know you, that Renee. it is, it is yeah, a great expense. I, I appreciate, appreciate your voice in this space. And um, I loved the podcast you did with the Mormon hippie. Oh, um, I really, that's awesome. been my favorite. Yeah. yeah. I yeah. really liked that she's one. Good. She's, she's been an interesting journey to watch. And yeah. Um, yeah, I just, I love your approach and I love just all the reclaiming work that you're also doing in this space of, of reclaiming things that, that we lost as women that need to be voiced in order for us to heal and move forward. Exactly. Thank you so much. All right, everyone. All right. Bye-bye, Brittany. Thank you. Thank you so much. Oh, you guys, you have to listen to Almost Awakened and and, and listen to Brittany. Um, she did a, a solo podcast last week and it was fabulous. And you just have to listen to her wisdom. It's so amazing. So anyway, catch you later. I know. Thank you so much. All right. Bye-bye. Oh my gosh. All right. Well, thank you for joining us today. And 
I hope you all are planning wonderful activities for the Thanksgiving holiday. I have uh, my whole family coming to Arizona. We're heating up the pool right now and we can't wait. We're, we've actually uh, got our kids coming in on Sunday and they're going to stay for the whole week. It's going to be amazing. And the best part of the holiday is um, my, all my kids said, mom, don't do anything. We're going to do the whole dinner. And I was like, Oh, I love it. So um, I can't wait. It's going to be exciting. And I hope you will also find joy. So we'll talk again in December. Not going to be talking this week because I'm going to be busy with family and friends. So I hope you all have a wonderful holiday. I will talk with you again in December. Okay, bye-bye.